With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. It's the NFL Scouting Combine edition of the Peter King Podcast. A lot for you this week. My guest, Daniel Jeremiah of the NFL Network, uh, he's getting ready to begin uh, 28 hours of coverage from Indianapolis, from Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. That begins on NFL Network on Thursday, February 27th. At 4 p.m. I'll tell you a little bit about how the combine is going to be different this year in a few moments, but an extended conversation with Daniel Jeremiah getting you ready for the combine and the first step on the road to the late April NFL draft, which this year is going to be an absolute circus. It'll be held in Las Vegas this year. Also, first round prospect, a wide receiver from Alabama, Jerry Judy will be my guest later on in the podcast. But first, you know, what's going to be so different this year and different from any other combine that there's ever been is that this combine was almost made for prime time. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, NFL Network will televise from 4 to 11 p.m. Eastern time. The combine has always been on during the day. But they're trying to get more eyes on it beginning on Thursday when the quarterbacks will work out. You're not going to see Tua Tagovailoa. You're not going to see Joe Burrow, uh, the top two quarterbacks scheduled to be picked this year. Um, uh, Tua obviously still recovering from a late season hip injury and hip surgery. And Joe Burrow, player's choice. He's just going to work out on his pro day uh, at LSU this spring and he's not going to be working out at the Combine. Doesn't really mean anything. Don't take a lot. Don't read a lot into that. But anyway, so these workouts this year being held in primetime, the NFL is very simply trying to do what it does well, which is figure out how to get the most eyes on uh, uh, on the workouts, just like they try to get the most eyes on their games. So uh, you're the, the, probably the most interesting night will be the first night because you'll get, to, you'll get to see an awful lot of the quarterbacks. You get to see Justin Herbert, uh, Jordan Love, two other first-round prospects, which I think will be really interesting to watch. Um, you'll also get to see the wide receivers and tight ends. Now, the wide receivers, as you'll hear from Daniel Jeremiah, he has 27 receivers with uh, – grades in the top three rounds this year. So, uh, you know, obviously that is a very, very rich position. You'll get to see a lot of these guys working out Thursday night. The sessions begin at 7 p.m. Eastern with the first half of the quarterbacks and receivers. And then the second half, it'll kick off between about 9 and 9.15 on NFL Network. But anyway, a, a few things about how different the combine is this year. And just so that as a, as a consumer of the Combine, you're going to know. Not only is that stuff happening at night, but a lot of the interviews <clears throat> between players and teams now are going to be happening in the morning and in the early afternoon. 
uh, and they'll be happening right at Lucas Oil Stadium instead of at a hotel right near the stadium, um, the Holiday Inn Crown Plaza, where it always was. And nothing else is going to change about the medical stuff and about the exams of players, but that is going to be different. It's going to create a really different vibe in Indianapolis for the Combine because usually you'd walk out to restaurants, you'd go to St. Elmo's or you'd go to the bars starting at about 10.30 at night and you would see every coach and, and an awful lot of GMs, you'd see them everywhere all over town. And what's great about Indianapolis is everything is a close walk in downtown Indianapolis. So it'll be interesting to see how this works uh, this week once the workouts start Thursday, Friday, Saturday, because then, you know, instead of being able to bump into, you know, Kyle Shanahan or Sean Payton or, 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 you know, some of the GMs downtown, you really won't get to see that after Wednesday night uh, because these guys are going to be engaged in watching the workouts in Lucas Oil Stadium. One other thing about the combine and, and how you can follow it, not just you don't have to wait till Thursday um, to follow everything at the scouting combine. You can go to NBC Sports' YouTube page you'll see a load of interviews uh, done mostly by Mike Florio and Chris Sims on the set of Pro Football Talk. You can already see some of them, and they'll be adding to them. There will probably be 30 or so by the end of the week. It's, uh, it's going to be a, a great place to get all of your NFL information. You can already see Justin Herbert, the Oregon quarterback, the fast riser, in the among the quarterbacks, you'll see him with with Chris and Mike. Also, Matt Rule, the new Carolina coach, is going to have some really good stuff, or he did have some really good stuff to say about them, including basically, I want to coach Cam Newton, and uh, I don't think many people, uh, I don't think many people really, really knew all that much about exactly what the Panthers' plans were at quarterback. And who knows? Uh, nothing's been set in stone yet, but it sounds like they're more inclined to keep Cam Newton than to let him go. And also Bruce Arians. Hey, look, anytime you can listen to Bruce Arians is a fun time. And he had some good things to say. The Bucks, I think, sounds like they're wide open at quarterback. And you know, like I have been saying for a couple of weeks, I will not be surprised if the Bucks go hard uh, after Teddy Bridgewater. He's not going to re-sign in New Orleans. He's going to be out there. To me, seems like a very, very good fit in Tampa Bay. But just go to NBC Sports' YouTube page. You'll hear some really good things and see some really good interviews. Florio, Sims, most of the NFL. So, um, we're going to lead into now my conversation. I had an extended conversation. You're going to hear about 41 minutes uh, between me and Daniel Jeremiah of, of NFL Network. He's obviously the new Mike Mayock. Uh, you know, Mayock did this for years, and Jeremiah has taken over. He's a former NFL scout, former player at Appalachian State. Uh, he's from Southern California. And uh, he really studies this stuff. And I was fortunate to be able to spend some time over the weekend uh, having him basically give me a lead into this year's combine and this year's draft. I started by asking him to give me an overview and to start with the quarterbacks at this year's NFL scouting combine. Sure. I, I think, look, you... You always start with the quarterbacks because that's the first thing people want to pay attention to and find out, you know, what that looks like. I feel like, in my opinion, it's it's Burrow clear-cut number one at the top of the list. Um, I think if you went around the league, I think you'd find a pretty strong majority of people that would agree. And, and obviously, Tua's health factors into that. Um, but you've got the fascinating story that after him with Tua and his health, I still, you know, I, I think that, you know, the medical is going to drive everything. He's a top-five pick. Um, if he's if he's going to be determined to be long-term healthy, not even saying he has to play next year, but if they say even with you know if you 
rested him for the whole year, he would be back to full strength and the risk would be minimal. Um, I think he would lock in as a top five pick. And then that's where the debate starts really going after that. When you get to Herbert and Love and Eason, um, you know, all potential first round guys there. So that's kind of the, the top of the quarterback position uh, that people look at. And then overall strengths of the draft receiver group is, is the best receiver group, the deepest receiver group that I've seen since I started in 2003. Uh, I have, I think I ended up with 27 players that I gave top three round grades to. Now they're not going to go 27 receivers are not going in the first three rounds. But what it means is you're going to see guys going in the fifth, sixth round uh, that are really, really good football players. Traditionally would have been, you know, third, fourth round picks. So that is the deepest position in the draft. Uh, I think when you you look on the defensive side, it's the corner position, which is the deepest in the draft, uh, with an elite, elite player up at the top with Okuda uh, from Ohio State with Jeffrey Okuda. But that, you know, that sweet spot at that position, second, third round, uh, it's loaded and it's a really good group. And I, I think it's I think it's not a coincidence when you go to any high school and watch high school football on a Friday night or if you watch college football on Saturdays and you see the, the proliferation of the seven on seven tour that we are seeing these numbers of wide receivers and cornerbacks um, having classes like this one where it's so loaded, um, whereas, you know, you might not have quite that same depth along the offensive line. Okay, and let's talk a little bit about now the the lesser positions or or you know, let's just let's go over each position group and you just tell me it will start with the offensive line. Just give me your quick little scouting report on that. Yeah, I think it's a good I think it's a good group of tackles. Um and I, I think there's you know, there's gonna be a handful of first round picks at the tackle position, as there usually is. And I think that's a good group. I think it starts to thin out once you get probably past the first 40, 45 picks. I don't feel great about the, uh, you know, the middle round options you would have at that position. I think if you want to tackle, you better get them early. Uh, but it's, it's a good group, a handful of first round guys. And then, you know, you go to the interior offensive line. It's not a strength this year. Um, I would not be surprised if we do not have, a, you know, a center or a guard go in the first round this year. Um, you know, and that's, you know, depending on, you know, there's a guy like uh, Worfs at Iowa who's a tackle that some teams, you know, would see as a guard. But in terms of guys that played on the interior at the college level, I would not be surprised if we do not see one in the first round. And we'll see, you know, we'll probably see three or four of them go, um, maybe three to six of them go in the second round is kind of that group. But not overly deep as well. That's a thinner position. Um, you get to the tight end position, that's a thinner group. Um, I think there's three really good ones that are, you know, more than likely going to be second-round players, and you know we can get to them in a little bit. But you know, Cole Komet uh, from Notre Dame would be at the would be at the top of that list. Adam Troutman from Dayton uh, would be in that group. He's a really really good player. And then uh, I would say uh, Harrison Bryant from FAU. Those guys are all second-round type players. Um, but I, I again, I don't know that we're going to see a first-round tight end. Receivers, as we've mentioned, there's there's a zillion of them, and I'm curious to see does the the uh, the volume of receivers impact teams' thinking in terms of supply and demand, and saying we might wait uh, to the second or third round to get our guy, and maybe that thins it out a little bit in the first round, even though we have you know seven or eight first round caliber receivers this year. Uh, you know, running back is really deep. I, I really like the running back group. We don't have, we don't have a Todd Gurley. We don't have a Zeke Elliott. We don't have a Saquon Barkley. Uh, DeAndre Swift is the best one from Georgia. He's the only one I think has a chance to go in the first round. I think the rest of these guys, we'll see. You know, we could see four or five of them go in the second round. But right. that group's a, a really good group of players. Um, so that's kind of how I see the offense. Let's let's move to the front seven. Give me your give me your. Let's start with pass rushers. Yeah, I mean it's look. It's anchored at the very top by a, you know by Chase Young, who's a special player. He's the best player at the draft, uh, in my opinion. So you start with having a big time headliner at the edge rusher spot, but then after that, um, I think there's a significant drop, and and I only think there's a couple guys. Um, that are first-round caliber players, and, and that's when A.J. Epinesa from Iowa, uh, Caleb Von Chason from, from LSU, uh, those guys are both, 
Uh, you know, I think they're both first round caliber players, but I do not think it's an overly deep edge rusher group this year. I think it, it, it drops off uh, pretty significantly. So it's a little bit thin there. Defensive tackle wise, um, I think there's star power at the top when you look at Derek Brown and Javon Kinlaw. Uh, Brown from Auburn, Kinlaw from South Carolina. I think they're top 10 caliber players. And I think there actually is really good depth. Uh, once we get in the second, third, even into the fourth round, I think there's some good options uh, at defensive tackle. Uh, and you go back to back a level to the linebacker position, uh, off the ball linebackers. Um, I think it's a, it's a solid group. But again, there's no, you know, we had, you know, the Devin Bushes, the Devin Whites. Um, I don't see one of those this year in the group. The wild card is is Isaiah Simmons, who is a premier player that some will have listed as a linebacker, some will have listed as a safety. Um, to me, that's a whole other discussion, which I'm fascinated by, uh, which is are we heading towards kind of a positionless uh, player uh, profile um, as we go into the future. You saw with Debo Samuel on offense, who's kind of a mixture of a running back and a slot receiver. Um, I see it doing the Charger games with Derwin James, who can line up all over the field uh, with that type of versatility. And, what a, and, and, and you also see it with Austin Eckler. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Austin Eckler is one of the 10 best slot receivers in the NFL. It just says RB next to his name. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's where I think it's going. And I think guys like Isaiah Simmons have tremendous value. And I've talked to a couple defensive coordinators around the league about this, and they uh, they see it. It's, it's like the NBA, the way the NBA went. You just want to get as many tall, long, explosive guys on the field as you can. Uh, and some weeks you might deploy them differently than others. And um, he, to me, is a – Simmons is a unique player in that regard. Um, let's go to the secondary. I Really good group, as I mentioned, at corner. Uh, it's 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 again it's it's anchored at the top with Akuda, who's an elite player. Um, kind of going back to the corners over the last seven eight years, the the only one I had with a higher grade than Akuda uh, would be Marshawn Lattimore, who I was a huge fan of. Um, but this kid is he is tall, long, um, he is ultra athletic, and and I love about him is he's just unbelievably competitive, tough. Um, so he's a special player, and then after that. I mean, I think we've got a really good group. I think corner-wise, you can go, you know, 10 to 12 deep uh, with, with really quality. I believe day one starters can plug in and help a team. And then um, you go to the safety position. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a solid group of safeties. Again, Simmons is the wild card, how you, you factor him in. Um, but Xavier McKinney is the best one from, from Alabama, and he's kind of a middle-of-the-first-round guy. So no, no Derwin James. Uh, no Jamal Adams um, in in the regular safety group with with Simmons just kind of being that wild card. All right, let's let's get down and discuss a few of the uh, a, a few of what what are going to be the major stories heading into the draft, and clearly things that you will spend hours on in the combine <laughs> this week uh, on NFL Network. So, in my thought. You know, I don't watch a lot of college football. And last year, I watched two games of Joe Burrow. And I just thought, how can you throw the ball downfield in big pressure games better than this guy does? Nothing phased him. And I got to the point where I said, man, I don't care if two is healthy. I'm taking this guy. That's how impressed I was with him. But naturally, I don't see nearly as much as you do. Can you just talk about how Joe Burrow, who might have been, this is crazy, I had one team tell me when I was just talking to him during the season, Joe Burrow, if he came out in 2018, came out in the 2019 draft, he probably would have been a fourth or fifth round pick. And, And now, after he comes out and plays like this, there's a good chance he's going to be the first pick in the draft. I mean, are we missing something? Do you feel weird about picking a guy after 15 games going from 125 to one? Or, or explain that to me. Sure. Uh, you know, it's it's a great discussion, and we have 28 hours to get into it during the combine coverage <laughs> with Rich. So I guarantee you, Peter, this is just an appetizer for that discussion. Uh, but look, 
if you look the last three years, first of all, before the season, nobody would have anticipated Baker Mayfield would be the first pick. Heck, we couldn't have anticipated it a month before the draft. Um, nobody would have predicted Kyler Murray would be the first pick before that season started, and that's what happened. Um, and then this year with Joe Burrow, you know, I did him over the summer. I had him, it would have been more like a third-round range. You know, there was there was some talent there, but he you know, wasn't all together. And it's a question that every team, well, every team that thinks they would have a shot at him, which is only going to be a couple, and we think we all know how this ends with Cincinnati. Um, but that's the question you got to ask him. So, fortunately, he was training an hour from the house uh, with Jordan Palmer. He was out there with, with uh, Sam Darnold and Josh Allen and Kyle Allen. Uh, so I went up there and watched him work out and throw. And we got a chance to visit with him for 20 minutes. And I said, I said, Joe, um, you're going to get asked this question in the combine. So I'm just curious what your answer is going to be. You know, how do you explain it? I know you have a new coordinator there, a new offense with Joe Brady. But is there more to it than that? Why the unbelievable leap from, from last year to this year? And Peter, he spelled it out, I thought, beautifully. He said, first of all, he's a grad transfer coming into the 19th season. Most grad transfers transfer in the spring. If not the spring, they're there for the entirety of the summer. He said, I got to LSU after the freshmen had already reported for fall camp. So you talk about trying to learn everything in a heartbeat and get to know your teammates and then plug in and be ready to play. That's the first part of it. Second part, he hadn't played much football in the previous three years. So there was some rust. Um, Okay, this makes sense. And then schematically, and this is the big one, um, they were in a lot of seven-man protection in that offense last year. And Joe Burrow, his greatest gift, and you can see it this year when you watch him, he has the vision to be able to take a snapshot of the entire field, to see everything, to process, and to throw accurately. Well, when you're in seven-man protection and you limit the number of guys that can get out in a route, you're limiting the answers you can give somebody with that type of, of, uh, of instincts and brain power to digest that. So he was handicapped by them trying to max protect him. The other thing it did is there's no room. There's no room for him to use his athletic ability to take off and go if you want. There's no room for him to slide around, move around, find windows. Um, it was just a congested brand of football. And then you look at this year, he gets Joe Brady in there. He gets a little bit of time to become a master of the offense. He's a son of a coach. He understands football incredibly well. So he becomes a master of the offense. Beginning of the season, they were in a bunch of six-man protection, which he's playing really well. And he said, eventually, Joe Brady just said around week three or four, let's just go five-man protection. Let's get everybody out into the route, and let's let this guy just carve people up. And he said, when they did that, I completed about 80% of my passes from that point on. Um, and that's what that's his. Everybody, you want you want to have a franchise quarterback? You got to have a superpower. His superpower is his ability to see the entire field, to work through progressions, and then throw the ball accurately. So they kind of unlocked that superpower this last year, and the rest is history. Though that is incredible, that is a great story. You got to tell that story to America on TV this week. You really do. It's well, it's fantastic. I've only got 28 hours to tell that one. So what, you know, again, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves because, you know, there's 330 players involved here, but I'm fascinated by Burrow, and I'm also fascinated by the Bengals. My first job ever in the NFL was 1984, covering the Cincinnati Bengals for the Cincinnati Inquirer. Sam Weich was the rookie coach. Boomer was drafted that year. They had Collinsworth. Uh, It was really an interesting team to watch. But ever, you know, I've had this fascination with the Bengals because they don't operate like any other team, maybe in professional sports. It is a mom-and-pop shop. And I've always wondered, and Carson Palmer has said it this offseason, how much do they really... You know, do they do they live and breathe to win? And you can say, well, we're going to do anything to win, but the proof is in the pudding, and they haven't done that. And I wonder how much of that will impact Joe Burrow's success. I think it's a I think it's a very fair question. I think it's a question that that Joe Burrow and and his representatives, I'm sure, are mulling over. 
um, and trying to, to figure out, you know, if they if they want to go to the nuclear option, I guess, as has it's been suggested to try and force your way away from Cincinnati. Um, having looked into this, I'll give you both sides of it. Number one, let's look at the, um, you know, the, the scary side of the Bengals. Since I think it's 94, they've averaged uh, under seven wins a season since 1994. Joe Burrow, you know, a lot's been made of his age. He's 23 years old. Joe Burrow has not been alive to witness a Cincinnati Bengals playoff victory. So during his entire lifetime, they have won a playoff game. So there's there's that side of it. There's also the fact they don't spend money in free agency. Um, you'd be hard-pressed to find uh, a player that they battled another team for for a high-priced free agent. Yeah. Now, they've re-signed some of their guys, but they have not been active in free agency. So that's that's the scary side of can I be successful there. But if I flip it over and look at it from a pro Bengals side, number one, I think from an offensive talent standpoint, they have more in place to surround a number one pick quarterback um, than any number one pick quarterback, in my opinion, going back to Cam Newton when he went to Carolina. Uh, when Cam went to Carolina, they had Gross, they had Khalil, um, they had the two backs, Stuart D'Angelo Williams, they had Steve Smith. Uh, I mean, that, that was a there's a good core team offensively around around Cam. I would put if healthy. You know, assuming A.J. Green is franchised and he's back and assuming Jonah Williams is healthy with the back that they have, receiving core, um, I think that's a pretty good group. Um, so that I think there's a chance for some success early on is what I'm getting at with them um, from that standpoint. The other thing, somebody brought this up to me, and I, I have never put this together, but he said, you know, everything that the Bengals get criticized for, not spending money in free agency, you know, just trying to build the draft, uh, you know, quote-unquote a mom-and-pop shop. Uh, go look at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, the difference, obviously, the Pittsburgh Steelers have, have all the trophies. Their trophy case is full. But you look at their two deep, it's all their own guys. The difference is the Steelers have just done a better job picking players yep. than the Cincinnati Bengals. So, you know, that's the challenge. If you're not going to be active in free agency, which, which they're not, you have to have a high batting average. And they did for a period of time with Carson, um, with that group, with that team, and they did it for a period of time with Andy Dalton and that group. Um, so it's it's a more challenging road. But what I'm getting at is, if you you know you, you've got to pick, you got to pick well. If they can draft well, um, then then Joe Burrow being there, they've got a chance to be successful. It's just it's going to be a little more challenging. Did you get any sense when you were with him or when with Jordan Palmer of whether? They're going to be militant about this, or will they go to Cincinnati? Did not, did not even go there. So, you know, we did not get into that discussion at all. I just, I told him that, uh, you know, look, just, just take your time and uh, and look at everything and get get as much information as you can. Teams are going to be gathering all the information on you, and it's it's a smart thing on your end to be gathering information on the team. So that was just my message to him. In in the case of Tua Tagovailoa, to me, I he's obviously a totally fascinating guy, but he's also a guy who got hurt three times significantly in the span of 13 months. I talked to an NFL team physician about a month ago and said, how would you handle the case of Tua? And he goes, well, look, I can't even comment intelligently uh, unless I would you know, put him through a battery of tests and look at his medical records, which I have not done, which I will do with the combine, certainly, but I have not done. But he made one point to me that I thought was very interesting. He said, from what I've read, okay, he had a high ankle sprain once, he had a high ankle sprain again, and then he had the hip injury, and all of them, they were not fluky injuries, they were contact injuries, that's what he called them, contact injuries. And he said, in my opinion, it depends where you get drafted. If you go to a team like Baltimore and they're going to say to the quarterback, okay, it's okay, you run 12 or 13 times a game. If you do that, that's fine. As long as we're winning, everything's good. But there are going to be some teams that you go to that are going to say, we don't want you running 10 times a game. Five, okay. But we want to have you here for 15 years. So, and he said, so that would be my biggest thing. I would not at all call him injury prone, but I would really, he said the biggest thing to him is 
I want to see everything about that hip. And assuming it checks out, he said, I would recommend that he be drafted high, even if, you know, in his first year, he may not be the starter from day one. How do you look at all that? Well, it's it's to me, it's purely a medical situation. The, the high ankle sprains, which I know he had little, he had some procedures done. I think it's like the tightrope procedure, what they call it. Um, on those, like most people in the NFL, they probably wouldn't even have done those. They wouldn't have had those surgeries, so you wouldn't even have that, you know, quote unquote, those two surgeries on your record. Um, but so the ankles, I'm okay with. The hip is what's scary, and this is not an ankle or a knee. Um, the hip's different, and again, I think any information that gets out in the public on this is not going to be worth much because the only thing that matters is the opinion of the doctors of the teams in the range to pick him. Um, and that's, I don't envision that information is going to get out. Um, and they're going to have to get their own doctors to look at them to come out with that information. And, and kind of what I said earlier is you tell me, um, if I'm, if I'm picking, let's say if I'm picking, we look at five, six, seven, right? You've got, um, you've got the dolphins, the chargers, the, the Panthers. I think that's kind of the quarterback alley right there. If I'm picking, if I'm the dolphins and I'm picking five and my doctor tells me, look, I think he needs to sit out this entire season to get 100% healthy. But in my opinion, the odds are in our favor that he will return to 100% health and will be no more likely to re-injure this hip than you or I, you know, or than any other player on the team. Um, then you pick him. I would, I wouldn't even care if you redshirted me. It wouldn't even bother me. You take him with the fifth pick. But if the doctor says that we're, we, you know, he can get him on the field, but the chance of, of recurring injury with this hip is significant. Then you're then as a personnel guy, your hands are tied at that point in time. Um, and I, you know, I talked to a team that had a player that had a hip injury uh, that they rehabbed and got him back, and then something, you know, no contact. All of a sudden, just one day running around, and boom, it was done, and it was gone. Um, and that's the, you know, that's why the hip is just totally different. Um, I watched the. Uh, Somebody advised me to watch the documentary on Andy Murray, the tennis player. Yeah. So I watched, it's, it's an hour and 45 minute documentary. He's the number one player in the world. He has a hip injury. And this whole documentary is just following him going through the rehab. And he could not get on top of the pain. And, and, and now he's a doubles player. So, you know, that's, you know, I know it's a different sport. Right. But Andy Murray's not getting hit. Andy Murray's not getting hit by linebackers either. <laughs> um, so that, that's what, that's what scares me. Um, I want to ask you, and for people who don't know, um, you obviously work with the Chargers, and you know you're on their 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 media team, and so you've been around the team a lot. And I have an interesting question that may revolve around Justin Herbert, who is also going to be. Would you say it's better than fifty fifty? He's a top ten pick. Whew. Um. Uh, to me, I, I still think it's a toss-up. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's there's kind of two two sides to that. Would I take him in the top ten? No. Uh, do I think there's a, you know, a, a chance he goes in the top ten? Absolutely. I, I would say, I would say, you want to say greater than 50%, but I wouldn't say it's more than 75% yeah. if you want to put percentages on it. I guess my question would be, so if you're the Los Angeles Chargers and you have to make a decision about your future – right now and you have to decide do we want the billboard on the 405 and do we want to pay a gigantic sum to help our sales and our luxury boxes and premium seating and all that at this new stadium and go full bore after Tom Brady and then we'll worry about the quarterback in 2021 or 22. See my whole thing is Tom Telesco who's the son of Bill Polian, you know, in football. He's not his son, but he, he you know, he went to the Bill Polian school. Yeah. yeah. And he wants, if he's got a chance, and who knows, I think the Chargers are too good to be drafting so high. And so who knows where you're going to be drafting next year. And, and so to me, I think if they like one of these quarterbacks, what I would rather do if I were them is play Tyrod Taylor until the rookie is ready. And, you know, and obviously take a hit maybe in attendance 
and in 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 public image and all that stuff. But I mean, Tom Brady's going to sell tickets and boxes and all that stuff, no question about it. But are you going to be setting yourself back if you take if you go whole hog after Brady instead of going after one of these quarterbacks to draft and develop? Yeah, I, I think it's going to just come down to what you what you view of this quarterback class. Um, but I am with you in the standpoint of I don't know when they're going to be back picking up their that high. There's too many good players on this team. They have offensive line issues they need to fix. But I mean, I'd, I'd put their offensive skill and their pass rush, and then having Derwin James for a full season. I mean, they've got a lot of star power on that team. Uh, I, I always, you know, we used the old saying in in. Uh, you know, it's all in all sports. You know, marketing is spelled W-I-N. Um, yeah. As much as L, you can say L.A. is a star, you know, it's a star town. you got to have stars. They've got a lot of stars on that team. They need to win. Right. Um, and you've got yourself in a division with the best player in the NFL who's, you know, he's only getting better and just coming off of, of the Super Bowl. The year before that, he was the MVP. So you've got to find somebody that can compete with Patrick Mahomes for the next 12 to 15 years. That's how you're going to gain, you know. That's how you're going to gain interest and excitement in your club. So, uh, I, you know, maybe there's a cake and eat it too scenario, Peter, where you can go out and get some help in the offensive line and free agency. You know, you get Tom Brady, you know, to be your billboard guy, um, and then you still use the uh, the sixth pick on a quarterback of the future. You know, maybe, maybe there's a cake and eat it too scenario. So. I, I have a specific question to ask you about receivers, and that is that is this. Last year was really a unique year for wide receivers in the NFL because, just my opinion, you had two receivers picked at the bottom of the first round, Marquise Brown and then Keel Harry, all right? And then you had 13 receivers picked overall in the first three rounds but 11 of them were in rounds two and three and what was so fascinating in my opinion is that I might argue we could argue that any one of four of them at some point last year you could have said that is a top 10 pick in the draft all right Terry McLaurin he goes 76 overall I almost voted him for Offensive Rookie of the Year. I love that guy. All right? Yep. And, uh, and now at, uh, I'm, I'm trying to, yeah, at 64, DK Metcalf, you know, had a fantastic year, is obviously Russell Wilson's key guy for the future. You know, at 56, McCole Hardman. There are some games where he was more impactful than Tyreek Hill. I mean, he was a terrific pick at number 56 uh, for those guys. And then the guy who I thought was so vastly underrated going into the draft and had it, I split my offensive rookie of the year vote between Kyler Murray and A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown walked into the NFL looking like a fifth-year player. He, it was like he had zero adjustment period. He was fantastic. And then the last one was one of the six or seven best players on the field in the Super Bowl this year. The 36th pick in the draft, Debo Samuel. And so, and you look at all of these guys, and and the reason I'm asking you this question is about, you know, when you say there's 27 guys with third grades in the top three rounds, and a lot of people, I don't want to say have ridiculed you for saying that, but they've questioned you saying that. Mm-hmm. But here's the only thing I would say for those who would question you. The San Francisco 49ers in the third round last year, high in the third round, picked Jalen Hurd, who's a wide receiver from Baylor. When I went to their training camp last year, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan were rubbing their hands in glee and saying, this guy is going to be unbelievable. And he never got on the field because he was hurt. But my point is, the depth today in the NFL at wide receiver coming into the league because of all of these seven-on-seven programs, because of all of these receivers who kind of like Larry Fitzgerald get all buffed up 
And they're not just speed demons. And again, I love Hollywood Brown. But I'm talking about a lot of these guys. You walk up next to A.J. Brown, and A.J. Brown's a man. I mean, he's a bigger guy. So I guess I would just ask you overall about this crop of wide receivers. I'm saying... Man, you say it's a, an incredible crop of wide receivers this year. I thought last year was one of the best I've ever seen. Well, there's there's two great points that you made, and I want to go a little bit back even a little bit further than last year. If we if we go back to 2016, Peter, if you look at the first the day one wide receivers versus the day two wide receivers, and I'll give you a little snapshot here. So 20 you did 2019. 2018, it was DJ Moore and Calvin Ridley in the first. Good players. But I can make a case if you look at the day two receivers, which included Cortland Sutton, Christian Kirk, DJ Chark, and Michael Gallup. It's at least equal when you look at the quality of players you're getting on day two. You go to 2017 with Corey Davis, Mike Williams, John Ross in the first round. And then some of the guys you get on day two, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, Cooper Cup, Curtis Samuel. um, That's a a strong group. And then even 2016 with Corey Coleman, Will Fuller, Doxon, Treadwell, uh, in the first, and then you get the Michael Thomases, the Tyler Boyds, the Sterling Shepherds, all those guys on day two. So um, that's not just last year where we've seen the day two, two group outshine or at least be neck and neck uh, with the day one group. And I think it's I, I think this class this year, I just think there, it just goes deeper than that. Whereas last year, and I have to go back and look at the number. I'm, I'm guessing there's probably I probably had 18 or 19 you know players with top three round grades, and this year it just there's just more of them, and it makes sense as you mentioned with the with the way the game is being played. These these college teams are playing four and wide five wide receivers at all times. These guys are catching a million balls, and the NFL offenses instead of asking these guys to swallow a a, a, a phone book playbook. They're bringing these guys in and saying, okay, you know what, DK Metcalf, DK Metcalf can run goes, he can run deep over routes, and we can throw him screens. And he can do a lot of damage on those three routes. So let's not worry about him and the quarterback, you know, side-adjusting routes. Uh, you know, let's let's give them something their handle they can do that. When you look at, at what Debo Samuel did, um, just get the ball in his hands. You know, use him in the run game. Look at how valuable he was there. Um, you know, that's a lot of the stuff he did at South Carolina. Now, these guys are going to grow and evolve and be even better because they're going to be able to do more things. But these these coordinators have, have figured out ways to get these guys on the field. Just get your best, best athletes out there and, and let them go. And I think that's been one of the reasons why we saw last year so many of those young rookie receivers play well. Uh, but this group this year, uh, I, I, there's not a Julio Jones, there's not a Calvin Johnson in the group. But Peter, it is man, it is just there's a bunch of guys that are polished and ready to play right now. Um, Jerry Judy is also going to be on this podcast uh, this week. He will follow you, and it seems like people are talking about C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, uh, and Henry Ruggs uh, yep. as as the quarter as the wide receivers. Maybe the Arizona State kid, Brandon Ayuk, uh, in addition to that. But those seem to be the guys who are seen as the highest. Can you give me your feel about each one of those in brief? Sure. And I have a, I have a brand new top 50 list. It's come out Monday of the, the week of the Combine. Um, and <laughs> you talk about the top three guys. CeeDee Lamb is my ninth overall player. Jerry Judy is my tenth overall player. Henry Ruggs is my 11th overall player. Wow. So I have those guys. They are jammed together. Uh, and they're all, they have different skill sets, but I love all three of them. So I've got those guys all right together. You know, with CeeDee Lamb, um, he gives you uh, the ability to, to win the 50-50 ball. And then he also gives you inside-outside versatility. He does not have huge speed. But he's got outstanding hands, and then what he does best is with the ball in his hands after the catch. I think the number was 27 uh, broken tackles this last year. Um, and you watch the Texas game, and it's it's just a highlight tape of all these games that he plays. Um, it's just making contested catches and then being ultra competitive after the catch. Um, Jerry Judy, it, you know, he creates more separation than Ceedee Lamb at the line of scrimmage and at the top of his route. 
He's the best route runner in the draft, uh, hands down, in my opinion. Very sudden, uh, very explosive, got great body control. He's just not going to be – he's not going to play above the rim as much as CeeDee Lamb on some of those 50-50 balls. And he's, he's good after the catch. He's elusive, but he's not as, as physical as CeeDee Lamb. So that's just a flavor issue between those two. And then, and then Ruggs has just got – he's just got unbelievable game speed. You know, he is this year's Tyreek Hill. If, if you're trying to find somebody that can do that and – and, and I think when you look at the Super Bowl, Peter, as, as you you know did a great job of, of dissecting, third and 15 won him the Super Bowl. And yeah. Tyreek Hill's speed won the Kansas City Chiefs the Super Bowl. It did. Um, and that's what teams – that's why Ruggs, I think, is in the mix to be the first receiver taken. He's not as accomplished as those other two. But I think when you look at the, the defensive coaches, especially if you have defensive head coaches – and they watch a tape of these three guys, and you say, which one of these guys do you not want in your division? All fingers would point to this kid, to, to Ruggs, and say that speed is a problem. Um, so he's And he's ultra-competitive. He's a gunner on punt. He's very tough. And for some speed guys, you know, go back to like a Bashad Perriman coming out with all the speed he had. You know, he just was inconsistent catching the football. And, you know, he, he, had, he finished the year well last year on his second team. But that was the concern. You got a, a track type speed, but he just doesn't have reliable hands. That's common. This kid dropped one ball last year. One. Wow. So he's got he's reliable as a pass catcher to go along with world class speed. So um, that's where I have the top three. And then after that, um, I actually have really close together George, Justin Jefferson from LSU, who's who's a Keenan Allen clone. Um, who's led the this whole draft class? He had more red zone touchdowns. I think he had twelve. Uh, he's unbelievably good in the slot. Uh, Joe Burrow love, loves him. Oh, you talk to him; he's just he raves about him. They see this; they see everything the same. He's always where he's supposed to be. Catches. Everything. Where will he go? Where will he go? Middle think, of round two. I have him as a first round player, but I also wow. I have him. He's let's see what he is on my list. I'll tell you exactly where he is. Justin Jefferson is my 16th player. Wow! Uh, but but I had I had DK Metcalf as my like 18th player. He went at the bottom of the second round. So, but he produced you know, like the 18th player. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think the, what I'm getting at is he's a first round caliber player. Um, and then Brandon Ayuk is my 20th player, and uh, he is one of my favorite players to watch. He's so tough and competitive. Um, he's explosive. He doesn't have quite the same polish um, as a guy like Jerry Judy, but man, the upside is there. And he's actually he's he's working out with TJ Hushmanzada, and uh, and Hushmanzada told me this is the closest thing I've seen to Chad, you know, to Chad Johnson. Wow, the way he this kid oh. moves. So I hear stuff like that, and I think I think Hushmanzada is one of the best young, uh, best teachers. Got a chance to watch him work with wide receivers. Wow! Uh, I don't know if you'd ever want to coach in the NFL, Peter. But if I were an NFL team and I had a hold of receiver coach position, I would give that dude a call because he is—he is an excellent teacher. Yeah. Um, one last thing, because we've given such short shrift to the defense, I—I I, I can't help but think what a great position Washington is in, picking number two with a guy who's one of the best pass rushers to come out in years, theoretically, and also likely with an incredible prospect like Tua sitting there and one of the best uh, corners to come out in a while, you know, with the Ohio State corner. So you're Washington, and I'm going to anoint you the general manager in Washington, and I'm going to say, what do you do? I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit at number two. I'm going to ignore the the calls that are coming. And I'm going to take an elite player at the second most important position on the field. And that's Chase Young. I, I just There's some guys you don't trade off of. Right. I don't trade off of quarterbacks. And I don't trade off of elite edge rushers. Because that's how you win football games. Right. You, win fo- you win championships with great quarterback play and pass rush. And, and we saw two teams last year. One with the great quarterback, the other one with the great pass rush. Um, I mean, that's how the game's played right now. So to get him to pair him up with Montez Sweat, the only way I would consider it is if somehow somebody were to get to three 
um, that was one of those quarterback teams. And then you could end up flopping two to three. And I know that if it's the Dolphins or whoever, whatever, those quarterback teams, that they are going to take a quarterback at two, and I'm going to get Chase Young at three. And and even then, I, would, I wouldn't sleep well the night before the draft, wondering if they played me. Yeah. I, I think I would agree with you uh, because almost no matter what you do, when you look at these trades – I'd say with the exception, I thought John Schneider last year, and this was not a top five pick. John Schneider was picking 21, and he traded down six times. And with the 64th pick, which was a tributary of that 21st pick, he gets DK Metcalf. He got five guys who made his team. So he's fine. He's happy with that. But it's not like he's trading down from... You know, uh, uh, yeah, it's not like he's trading down from Bruce Smith, maybe, or something, you know, somebody like that. Yeah. 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 Um, I look at that and say, man, if I've got, if if Montez Sweat, we know how athletic he is. And now you put this kid on the other side, not only are you going to, you're going to hit a home run with Chase Young, in my opinion, but you've just guaranteed the fact that Montez Sweat's going to see crappy right tackles one-on-one for the next 10 years. Uh, You know, that's a good place to be in. My thanks to Daniel Jeremiah. Lots to chew on there. So at the Super Bowl this year, I had an opportunity to sit down with Jerry Judy, the record-setting wide receiver at Alabama. And we we didn't talk for long, but I talked to him a lot about the scouting combine, what it meant to him. So here is my conversation with Jerry Judy. So happy to be joined uh, by Jerry Judy, one of the best prospects in the 2020 NFL Draft. Uh, The wide receiver from Alabama uh, had 1,300 and 1,100 yard receiving seasons to end his career. He's the Blitnikoff winner, is the best receiver in college football. Jerry, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Okay. So as you head into scouting combine season, I wondered, so many guys get prepared for the combine in different ways. So what has been your thoughts since the end of your college football season, you know, in early January, what's been your thought about how you prepared for the combine? Um, first, I, I really want to change the way I eat. So I want to really plant, have a, um, good nutrition is a, play a big role in like in your body so I really work on changing the way I eat and just getting a lot faster and stronger and what did you eat before and what do you eat now (laughs) Uh, I just eat you know before you just eat a lot of junk food a lot of fast food now I'm more like into a lot of beans rice and steak just to help me gain weight what do you miss in the fast food uh I miss Miss Cane's, the chicken fingers, the uh, the cheeseburgers. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, when you were at when you were at Alabama, was it? Were you very nutrition conscious? I mean, when they would feed you before games, were you very conscious of what you ate? And did they try to feed you guys healthy uh, stuff? Oh uh, yeah, they try to feed us healthy stuff before the game, but um. We got the same. We had the same meal before every game, so I just eat that. It, uh, it was not a. I feel like everybody ate the same thing, so yeah, yeah, it was good food. Um, if if you can just talk a little bit about your Alabama experience and tell me, how do you think you became better as a football player and better as a person at Alabama? Uh, I wanna I wanna say just put the people I around the, the people I was around just. Helped me become more competitive and more, um, more just more wise. Like Coach Saban, he he taught me a lot. Um, Tua taught me a lot. The receiver core taught me a lot. Just how to become a, a better football player and a better person on and off the field, just by doing certain things. What's your What's your favorite Nick Saban story? What's your What's your What's your favorite story about him being a coach to you? Um. My favorite story, uh, uh, we had this meeting one time. He was just giving like a motivational speech um, and just something that he said just that stuck with me. 
stuck with me every time. Like he said, why not give 100% if you're 100% into it? Which means like, if you if you playing football and this is what you want to do, why not give it 100%? Why not give it your all? Because this is something you chose to do. And that's one of the things you were known for as a receiver. You're an effort guy. You're not just the star receiver. So, I mean, I read some things about you before we talk now. And you, the, the book on you is that you're going to play a smart wide receiver position and you're going to be a very competitive player against corners and safeties. Describe yourself as a player, if you can. Uh, I, I feel like I'm really smart. Knowing, I know the defense, know how to run routes. Knowing the defense, it really, really helps you a lot when it comes to running routes because you know where the open zones at, you know where to sit, you know what the DB wants you to do, what, what they want, don't want you to do. So you got the, um, you got a, a advantage if you know the defense, you know. So I'm just smart, fast, quick route runner that know how to get open. And I could play anywhere on the field. Do you feel like you can either play wide, you can play slot, you know, you can play either side like that? Yes, sir. I feel like I could play wherever the coach put me at. Yeah. I'm a football player. Speaking of that, I thought it was really interesting that this year Alabama plays Michigan in the bowl game. And so many players in the last two or three years have not played in the bowl game right before they go into the draft. Obviously, because if you get hurt in the bowl game, Jalen Smith, for example, at Notre Dame, it really affects what happens to you in the draft. What was your thought about playing in the bowl game? Uh, I mean, you know, you, you're allowed to think about your future career and not not trying to down anybody that didn't play in the bowl game, you know, you got to do what's right for you on what you feel that's best for you. But, I, like, for me, I'm a football player. I love to play football. I love to go out there and compete with my brothers. So me doing that, I couldn't just be in the house and just sit down and watch, knowing I could have played in this game. Uh, that's just not in me. So I, I just wanted to go out there and compete with my brothers one last time. You had one of the best games in your career. You had a 204-yard receiving game that day. Why? What, what, what happened in that game that made that game special? Um, just, just the execution of the plays, you know, coach, coaching calling the right plays at the right time, um, O-line blocking, quarterback throwing, Matt Jones throwing a good ball, and, and us calling the right plays against the right coverage, you know, just doing everything the right way. Yeah. Were you really happy after that game? Because there were a lot of people who were saying, what is Jerry Judy doing playing in this game? Did it, did it make you happy that you went out and had one of the best games of your career? Yeah, it, it, it kind of made me happy, you know, because I could have been a guy that could have just sat out and into the NFL draft. But me going out there, showing people that it doesn't matter if you first, second, or third round, you should go out there and compete with your brothers and do it to the best of your ability. And I went out there and showed that. So... The one other thing about you and your career looking forward to the NFL is people describe you as a ready-made NFL wide receiver, can step in day one and play great. And I look at the game right now, and I look at so many good receivers coming out of college. A.J. Brown, A.J. Brown was one of the best, not just rookie receivers, he's one of the best receivers in football this year. Debo Samuel was a huge impact player. Terry McLaurin at Washington, there's so many really good receivers. Why is it that so many of you guys, good college receivers, before it might have taken a year or two or three to adjust to what you're asked to do in the NFL? Why is it that so many receivers are coming in ready to go right away? Um, just like the growth in the receiver game, just like everybody just growing and knowing, knowing the, knowing how to be a receiver, knowing how to get open, knowing defenses, knowing, knowing cover coverages really. So, like I said, I play a big part in in the receiver game. If, when you know the, them things, uh, it makes everything a lot more easier. So I feel like them coming in already, already set, already know like what to do, really helps. And the, and well in the. Where you come from, too, the, college, the school you come from really got a part to do with that, too. 
the competitiveness at Alabama you think really is going to help you at the next level? Yes, sir. In your mind, are there any of the guys who've come into the game in recent years, either maybe who are friends of yours or who you know very well, who you feel when you watch them, you think that's the kind of impact I can make early on in my career? Yes, yes sir. Like, uh, I hang around with Calvin Ridley a lot. So, like him, Calvin Ridley, um, uh, I grew up watching Amari Cooper going into college, you know, just – there's all them other receivers that's in the league. I, I just watch and just see that I could do that too. I've been playing football since seventh grade, and I feel like I, I'm matured enough to know to know how to get open and know how to do them little things like that. Let's ask two other questions about going into the combine. What are the things that you really want to emphasize with teams who meet with you and talk to you? What do you want them to know about you? Um, I just want to know that I'm a, a first-class guy. I do everything right. Uh, you know. Uh, also, I know I know the game really well. I can play whatever position they want me to play in or outside. Um, and I'm just I just feel like I'm ready to play that role. And as you enter this, it's really kind of a weird atmosphere. There's like 330 players. It's almost a little bit like kind of a meat market. You get measured, you get, you get uh, all these physical exams on you, and then you go in these 15-minute windows and you talk to all the teams who are going to put you up on the board and who are going to ask you everything about yourself. Are you looking forward to it? What do you, what do you think of the whole process from what you know uh, of it? It's going to be a tough process, but at the same time, I take it as a blessing. You know, not many people get an opportunity to do something like that, so I'm just going to just take it as a blessing and and just can't wait to can't wait to see what happens. Should you be the first wide receiver picked in the draft? Uh, you know, that's not really that's not really my choice. In my in my opinion, I think I should. In my opinion, other people other people's opinion probably doesn't but in my opinion I think I should um is it does not, it is it a big deal to you does it matter to you or or is that does that really drive you uh I mean it, it would it would be just, uh, great just to be the first wide receiver taken but at the same time what matters to me is just going on the team and being the best player I could be for them and so no matter where I go first second third receiver I'm still going to be the same receiver uh I'm still going to be a hard-working receiver and just to get better each and every day. My, my one single piece of advice would be hope that you go to a team that's got a really good quarterback. <laughs> and, like, if you're, if you're, like, the fifth overall pick and you go to a place where you're not sure who the quarterback is or whatever, or you can go to play with Patrick Mahomes I mean, or, or, yeah. or whoever, you know, that's probably what you would want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know. Um, last thing I'd ask you, so you're about to change your life totally. You're about to embark on being a professional wide receiver in the NFL. Is that fun? Is that a little bit intimidating to you? How do you feel about this next step in your life? Uh, I feel like it's going to be a fun, it's going to be a, a great process, a wonderful journey. You know, this time... This something you dream of as a little kid, you know, growing up, I want to play in the NFL now to finally be here. It feels so surreal, but I'm enjoying the moment. Jerry, Judy, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. I wish you a lot of luck in the NFL and hope to cover you for about the next 15 years. Thank you. My thanks to Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network and Jerry Judy of the University of Alabama for their help this week with the Peter King podcast. Again, all you have to do to catch up on all things podcast is go to the NBC Sports page on YouTube and to see all of the interviews that Mike Florio and Chris Sims have this week, a very active week at the Scouting Combine. And I'll be back next week to do a little review of what we learned this year at the Scouting Combine. And also, I'll have an extensive post-combine football morning in America column up at NBCSports.com on Monday and 
as I say every week, you'll probably learn a little something reading Football Morning in America. And if you don't, please respond to me, tell me, and I'll try next week to make you much smarter about the sport we all love. Thanks for listening to the Peter King Podcast, and we'll see you next week. 